Last fortnight, um, I reviewed the four practice principles. I'll just, just briefly talk about that um, for the people who are new to the practice today. Um, the, uh, you, you might well just hand those out here. These were um, developed by one of Joko Beck's students as a reworking of the uh, of the Buddhist four, the four truths of Buddhism. And um, so, like I was mentioning before, that we don't have to necessarily identify as a Buddhist to practice Zen, um, but we do acknowledge the Buddhist tradition um, as as the origins of Zen. And um, it's a very ancient tradition. And the four, for those of you who may not recall, the, the four truths of Buddhism are is that there is, there is suffering, and we need to understand that suffering. Uh, there can be an ending or relief to suffering, and, um, and there is a path towards the ending of suffering. And, um, so in some ways, Buddhism goes in, in reverse in terms of, we can also just restate that as, as saying that, well, uh, there, there is a path towards happiness and uh, we can follow this path. Uh, only, only Buddhism talks about suffering or a sense of dissatisfaction. And, um, and like I said last fortnight, it, it's really important to make a distinction between um, the word that... Uh, the suffering that we're talking about is primarily a, a form of psychological suffering. So, um, if we make a distinction between suffering and pain, so physical pain and emotional pain, uh, no promise that they're going to go away. Um, they're going to stay. Um, but there's a whole other level of suffering on top of the physical pain and emotional pain. Um, so, like by emotional pain, I mean the natural pain of, you know, if we lose someone that we love, we experience grief. That's just a natural emotion. Um, so we're not talking about we're not, never going to experience grief again. Uh, but through our practice, we might uh, relieve ourselves from experiencing complicated grief, where you know judgments of blame or etc. get involved in the process. Um, so these four principles are, are, are just a basic rewording of, of those four, four uh, truths of Buddhism. And uh, we, the first line, caught in a self-centered dream, um, only suffering, um, and holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Those, those two lines are a re reworking of the, there is suffering and there is an origin or a cause of suffering. And Buddhism often talks about the three poisons of, uh, of greed, hatred, and delusion. Um, and... Uh, so this, 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 this metaphor of being caught in a self-centered dream and holding on is a kind of reworking of this idea of um, how we get caught and attached to uh, um, various uh, unhelpful thoughts, emotions, reactions, primarily uh, centered around uh, our ego-centered self. And, um, and the, the fundamental delusion, I guess, in Buddhism is that this sense of separateness and, 
the sense of there's a me in here and you out there, there's a nas and there's a them, and uh, a sense in which a lot of um, our suffering arises from that as well. Um, so in some ways the self-centered dream refers to the tendency that we have to, to get caught into our, our, our clinging to our, our self-concerns and preoccupations. And, um, and, uh, and fundamentally, so like a dream is kind of like, you know, we, when, when we have a, an actual dream uh, at night time, uh, we would have all had the experience of waking up from that dream and having a sense of relief that it was just a dream. And, um, and it's the same in a way, uh, Buddhism sees the, the, that sense of attachment to self and attachment to thoughts is almost like being a living dream. And the metaphor is one about, of, of cultivating the awakened mind. And uh, so to awake from that dream is to come back to the present. What is, what is, what is come back to this moment all the time. And uh, so that, that's the second two lines of the practice principles. This is the, uh, there is an ending to suffering and, a, and, um, and the path, which is um, coming back to this moment and uh, coming back to a non-separation from this moment. Whatever this moment might be, we want to be opening up to it. And being just this moment is compassion's way. Um, so that's what we talked about last fortnight. Um, and um, what I want to talk about this fortnight is, um, I probably won't get it all done today, so it might be over a couple of parts. Uh, the, the, the idea of uh, meditation being practice of befriending, befriend, befriending the self, like um, how, uh, uh, how would we like to be a friend to little old me? Like, um, and the idea of be, being a friend to ourselves um, is um, a process of, um, in, a, in a sense, becoming intimate, um, becoming intimate with ourselves. And the word self there is used in there's a couple of ways. I mean, we, uh, the first stage of practice is really becoming, uh, getting to know our ego-centered self really well. And, um, and we do that by bringing our, you know, our ability to observe and be mindful in our everyday life of our, the continuous ways in which we get, what, what other patterns of thoughts and emotions we get caught into on a day-by-day basis. What are the fears we get caught into? Um, what are the worries, the anxieties, etc., etc. As, as well as what appreciating uh, the joy of being alive. I mean, this practice is often referred to by, um, it was referred to by Dogen, one of the most uh, renowned Zen teachers, 13th century teacher, as being the Dharma gate of enjoyment and ease. Um, but often when we're sitting in, in our practice, in our meditation, it doesn't always feel like a sense of enjoyment and ease. Um, and um, so we want to, want to explore well, how, why, that, why is that the case? And, um, so that the process of getting to know ourselves, so getting to know our ego-centered self is, is, is a long, probably never-ending you know, practice. It's a, I don't think we'll ever meet anybody who doesn't have some sense of an ego-centered self. It doesn't matter how enlightened a person you might meet, they're still, we're still human beings. And, uh, and there's also the sense in which we, 
so the sense of befriending our humanness and uh, and getting to um, uh, to be okay and at ease with our anxieties, our vulnerabilities. Um, uh, um, doesn't matter how long we may practice our vulnerabilities and our anxieties are not necessarily going to go away. But um, we may have a, uh, uh, we may we, we may find a way of being with those anxieties and vulnerabilities uh, with more ease and uh, less reactivity. And, and, th- and that's the relieving the psychological suffering. Uh, I mean, so it doesn't mean nobody in this practice promises that we're going to be happy all the time. And that's that's a, uh, that's not what is what is meant by happiness in Buddhism anyway. And it's, um, the, the practice is about really, I mean, the wisdom practice is more about alignment with reality as it is, and um, and the compassion practice is more about. Um, awakening the heart of, of non-separation. So meditation can be seen as this process of befriending the self and not just our ego-centered self but our expansive self. Uh, there's lots of names for this in Buddhism, true self, big mind um, and um, and that's just this moment. Um, there's a, um, a word in, in Buddhism called emptiness, which it, 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 it's, it's not a negative meaning. It, it's not like the, neg- the emptiness of depression. It's just the, the realization that everything is interconnected, that there's nothing permanent, that uh, there's no essential thing anywhere in the universe. It's just constant change. That's what emptiness means. But, it's boundless in that sense. It's limitless. It's vastness. And uh, when we sit in meditation, we can touch on that that vastness of who we are as well. Uh, we touch on that when we experience that sense of spaciousness. And um, and when we can touch on that sense of vastness, the um, our, our our clinging to the uh, our self concerns just loosens up a little bit. And um, we uh, are able to um, uh, practice that letting go. There's a, a Buddhist teacher that refers to you know, opening the hand of thought. So it's kind of like letting go of what we all do and we cling to. And um, all those, uh, whether, whether they're worries about the future or uh, regrets about the past and how we can get so caught up and attached to those things. Um, and the, so the befriending is also referred to, um, there's a very, um, Buddhism has a lot of metaphors which are very, um, very, very, very useful. And um, one of the um, um, very well-known metaphors um, in Buddhism is the, the old mirror or the ancient mirror, the mirror. And um, so, like, uh, this is a quote from Dogen. Um, what all Buddhas and ancestors have maintained and transmitted person to person is an old mirror. This is one scene, one face, one image, one casting, one practice, one realization. Um, 
when a barbarian comes, that was their name in China for anybody who was outside of China, <laughs> same <laughs> with Labrador, a barbarian appears in 18,000 forms. Eh? <laughs> um, when a Chinese person comes, a Chinese person appears, a myriad years in one moment. When the old comes, the old appears. When the new comes, the new appears. When a Buddha comes, a Buddha appears. Um, my teacher Barry Majid um, often refers to, um, often in uh, Soto Zen practice, uh, we sit facing the wall and there's a sense in which we sit and the kind of like our self just naturally appears and, and it's changing from moment to moment in the kind of mirror of our awareness. Um, there's another um, a famous encounter, well, um, sorry, um, a very famous teacher um, called this. Um, in, in, in Zen, there was this, this guy called Bodhidharma who came from India, who was, they like to take this sort of idea of a, a transmission from the original historical Buddha, Shakyamuni Buddha, onwards down, down, and down. And I think Bodhidharma is about the 18th down, is uh, an Indian Brahmin who came to China. And he's, he's, he's referred to as the first ancestor of, of Zen who brought um, Zen to China and, uh, and he sat in a cave facing the wall for years and years um, and that's close to the Shaolin Temple. And um, this, the, uh, there's a, uh, one of the famous ancestors was um, a guy called um, Dajian uh, Huanong um, who lived from 1638 to 1713. He's a very preeminent figure in Chinese Zen. Is is the first name Dajian actually is an, it, it, it's, it, the old mirror. Um, so he's actually named after a mirror as well. The old mirror, is that right? Yeah, yeah. And um, he, um, you know, often um, there's a lot of um, uh, you got to take these histories with a grain of salt. <laughs> I mean, they're often <laughs> a reworking of, of to teach something. And uh, but you know, he was uh, the story goes he was a he, he was illiterate, and uh, his father had died, so he used to uh, make a living uh, supporting his mother, chopping wood. And then uh, one day there was a, a Zen uh, a monk uh, uh, who was walking through the village and chanting the, the Diamond Sutra. Uh, sutras are just the, the sort of the old the scriptures in Buddhism, and, um, coming, uh, which are usually about the sayings of the Buddha. And, uh, and apparently on hearing the, the, this, this, the Diamond Sutra being chanted, he had a, a realisation or a, a very profound understanding. This happens sometimes, it hasn't happened to me yet, but maybe it will one day. And uh, um, so he, he goes off to the, uh, the guy who was the fifth ancestor of the time, to the monastery there. And, and because he was, uh, this was, he, he was from the southern China, so he had to travel to the northern China. And uh, so in northern China, I think the southerners were regarded as a bit, you know, <laughs> a bit like westerners and that. <laughs> so he, he was illiterate, and so he was just put to working in the kitchen. And he wasn't, he wasn't even ordained as a monk or anything like that. And the, 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 the fifth ancestor was about to, uh, uh, I guess, retire, and he wanted to name a successor. And one of the senior monks was uh, very, uh, very skilled, very literate, and practiced hard and all the monks were expecting him to become the successor. 
So the, uh, the, uh, he, the, the fifth ancestor uh, issued a challenge to, to, for the, the monks to write a, what are called uh, gathas, like a four-line poem, expressing their understanding of, 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 uh, of Zen. And uh, so the, the senior, and so they were meant to write on the wall, and so all the other monks thought, oh, well, the, the senior guy, he's, gonna, he's, he's the guy who's got it all together. He'll definitely be the next successor, so we won't bother. So, um, so, the, um, so this guy, the, the senior monk was, was a little bit, not fully confident, but he, he wrote a poem on the, on, on the wall. And there's different translations of it, but this, is, uh, this particular translation goes, um, the body is the tree of wisdom, the mind but a bright mirror. At all times, diligently polish it to remain untainted by dust. And um, so there's different ways of understanding that line. And the the master saw the poem, thought that was that was pretty pretty good. And um, um, so you, you can think of this idea of polishing a mirror. And um, in those days in China, the mirrors were actually made of bronze. So there was actually in order to keep it bright and shiny and, and, and clear, you would actually polish the bronze mirror. So this this notion of uh, and, you know, obviously, I mean, one, one, one obvious sort of understanding of dust is, is uh, the sense in which what is it that um, prevents us from seeing clearly. And so you could think of dust as being a metaphor for those three poisons or delusion in particular. Um, they're, all, they're all deluded, basically. And um, so the, uh, the practice of, uh, of Zazen, just sitting in meditation, is about continually see, sort of polishing the mirror and keeping um, and this goes on forever and ever. Excuse me, Andrew. Mm. What you were saying about um, like compassion's light um, and befriending ourselves. Because to me when you were talking about that, the idea like it's not so much that we're polishing the the thinking mind or the self um, centered thoughts. We're not polishing them necessarily, we're just polishing our um, the, 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 the watcher on the ability to befriend the things that are occurring. So mm. it's like almost reducing that reaction. You said reactive. Mm. So polishing those reactive kind of um, perceptions. So we, as we're polishing those things, the thoughts themselves, they just kind of, um, they just have what they are, and like I said, open and free. Um, so is it, it's not so much when we're polishing, we're not necessarily polishing the content of our mind is that is that it's more that we're polishing our own um, ability to befriend. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the one playing with it with the metaphor of polishing. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and um, so um, it let us just well, that's just that's, that's that's fair enough. Yeah, that's, mm. I agree. And let's just keep playing with the, this mm. metaphor because mm. it can be taken in a, a number of different ways. Mm. Um, could polishing so, mean just caring for? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so when the when the the guy who was to become the sixth ancestor, Kuna, <laughs> saw this 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 poem, he thought it's not quite right. <laughs> so he actually he got up and and uh, he, well he asked someone to read it to him first because he couldn't read. So <laughs> and ah. So then he asked the other monk to write write his poem for him. So he wrote the 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 Hyunan wrote this wrote this one. Um, he goes, 
The tree of wisdom, fundamentally, does not exist, nor is there a stand for the mirror. Originally, there is not a single thing, so where would dust alight? Um, so that was seen as being a, a little bit more of a profounder understanding. And because he was this illiterate uh, who no, no one knew, the, uh, the fifth ancestor passed on the robe and the bowl to him in secret and told him to um, head for the mountains. <laughs> and, which is what he did. And uh, there's a whole other story about how he was pursued and so forth. But we won't go into that today. Um, but um, I just want to hold that one. So there was a... Um, um, so there's, there's, I guess there's a sense in which we've got to be careful about the mirror is not something which has a front or a back. So if we're trying to get a picture for the mirror, I think it's probably better to think of a sphere. And, uh, and you know, you probably heard that expression about uh, um, God is a sphere whose centre is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. And you can drop the word God if you like, but the sense in which this point of awareness and there's no circumference and that sense of a mirror I guess and the sense in which so um, there's nothing the mirror is totally empty it's, there's nothing for dust to get caught in at all um, so um, we can actually I think yeah um, take the metaphor of polishing to be like a metaphor of uh, actually appreciating. Um, so the sense of uh, when we're sitting, um, really about um, becoming intimate with ourselves, polishing ourselves, not because we want to become better or because we want to improve ourselves. Because look, I mean, it's very common, most of us come to practice because we have this sort of a feeling that, you know, there's something wrong with us or we haven't quite, you know, there's something missing or there's something lacking and uh, various variations of that theme and um, and Zen practice is, is about working with that so there's, there's a sense in which we all to a certain degree are aspiring somehow to become something other than what we are but um, the practice of the polishing is, is, is we've got to, yeah, it's not about making us a shiny prettier person but it's actually actually appreciating exactly who we are right now and um, and that sense of just paying attention uh, to appreciating our life as it's manifesting right now in this moment and that process of befriending is not always easy because the self that comes up in the mirror the, um, may not always be that pleasant to, um, to meet sometimes. Um, but we need to meet that. We need to, um, over time, just create a, the sense in which those uh, parts of ourselves we might have cut ourselves off from and uh, we actually allow back in. So we start to become able for the, that anxiety to arise in the mirror and not get freaked out by it. Or, to be able to see the, you know, the, the various vari variants that the ego might take, um, which could be sometimes of a very unfriendly nature towards ourselves, we, 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 we take that in and we see that as well. And we return to the, 
to the breath and to the body uh, with that sense of deepening intimacy. Tenderness is another nice word for it. So it's kind of saying, how do we soften and become tender with ourselves by letting go of the judgments and just coming back to the feeling of it, holding ourselves in a tender embrace in that way. So a sense of, yeah, uh, polishing as appreciating the self. Um, and um, for the next talk, I'll, I'm going to speak more about why is it so difficult for that to happen? Why, why, is, um, why do we, we resist that? And, uh, and that comes down to, you know, in classical Buddhism, they talk about the six hindrances. In a, in a psychic, psychologically minded Zen practice, we can talk about how our protective strategies or our, def our, our psychological defences um, and how in Zen practice the, uh, these psychological um, barriers um, are what we work with and, uh, and, and, uh, and go through the slow process of melting those divisions within ourselves. Um, so that we create through that practice of appreciation um, and ever like a, this sense of which um, Joker used to use a metaphor of a pool like where the, the, the sort of icy parts of the self just sort of gradually start to melt and, uh, and uh, that sense of the hard edge of things starts to melt a little bit and then when you're um, Meeting someone in, interpersonally who's just softened up a little bit, there's a sense in which we, um, there's more of an openness there to meet each other. So we can also in, 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 befriending ourselves is kind of like meeting ourselves moment after moment and sort of opening up to that meeting. Okay. So I'll, um, I'll leave it there for today.